0: As I mentioned this morning, I'm talking to pastors and people from other churches too, I hope, uh, as well as us tonight, as I want to bring another message. If you'll take your Bibles now and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians 8 and verses 9 through 11, I want to bring a second message this evening on the subject of things that worked, things that worked. And I think I'll have one more message, I don't know it'll be next week or what, I think there is one to baptize next Sunday. He's a little smaller. <laughs> That'll be good. Uh, but um, if you want to be baptized, please see me after the service, and I'll show you the baptistry, explain the ordinance. Everybody needs to be saved. And then if we can, be baptized after our salvation. If you were here and say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby once. No, you weren't. Uh, somebody meant well and somebody did something religious, but you weren't baptized. The word baptized means to immerse, to submerge, to dip. So they took you as a little baby and stuck you all the way underwater and brought you up, you were baptized, all right? But if they just sprinkled a little water on your head or poured a little water on your head, you weren't baptized. There's only one definition. We don't have a right to change the definition of a Bible word. So we need to be submerged or immersed or dipped. It's the only way to show outwardly that we believe Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And uh, so if somebody baptized me, quote-unquote, when I was a little baby. That's what they said. They poured a, threw a couple of sprinkles of water on me. But later in life, I got saved. And then after that, I got truly biblically baptized again. And if you were baptized wrong the first time, read Acts 19, Get rebaptized. Acts 19 verses one through five. tell us about some that were baptized the wrong way the first time, and so they got rebaptized. But baptism should follow your salvation. It's for believers, it's not for babies. And uh, babies can't believe. Uh, so uh, feel free. I'll, I'll talk to you more about that. I don't want to get off on that. Uh, tonight I want to start with number four, which is Faith, Promise, Missions, Giving. Faith, Promise, Missions, Giving. This morning I began a little series of messages that I, I hope will help you as a congregation and has helped our church. These are things that have worked. As I mentioned, we have done a lot of things that didn't work. Our church has done some things that didn't work, but after 40 years, there are some things that did work. Some things that did work, and I just want to focus on a few more tonight before we have the Lord's Supper. Number four is faith promise, missions giving. I said number one this morning, marriage works. When we all as men will uh, dwell with our wives according to knowledge, honor them as the weaker vessel, be heirs together of the grace of God with them. Every man will work on his marriage. It says our prayers won't be hindered. But if we don't, our prayers will be hindered, and we talked about that number one. And so, prayer is so essential to the ministry. It's the two main things a pastor should be involved in, as we said, was Acts six four, and Acts six chapter uh, chapter six verse four says, "We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word." So, don't chop down your prayer life and listen to the first message. Uh, uh, men and pastors, we've got to work on our marriages and be intentional. Husbands, number two was fasting. Fasting also accommodates and helps and strengthens prayer. Uh, there are some things Jesus said, Matthew 17, 21, he said, This kind goeth not forth but by prayer and fasting. And by the way, most of the perverted new translations drop the words, And fasting from their translations. And, and, and in doing so, Satan takes away uh, one of the po- most powerful tools that God has ever given the church, and that is men and women who fast. And uh, so if you don't have the word fasting in your Bible in Matthew 17, 21, you have the wrong Bible. And uh, Satan is just, just he's, he's all over those other translations, uh, weakening the church, dumbing us down. And uh, we need to say no to it. Say no to it and stick with your old King James Bible. That's the one with all the words still in it. And then caring this morning uh, is something that works. We've noticed in our church when when people really care about the congregation, not just the, the pastoral staff, but everybody cares about each other. Not just be friendly, but cares. That works. And that compassion makes a difference. Number four tonight Faith Promise Missions Giving. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. And so he's talking to the Corinthian church, which had failed to come through in their promise to give to help the poor a year earlier. They had made a promise... And uh, they were in a little southern region there in Europe called Achaia, and they had made a promise, and uh, Paul had come through and said, hey, there's a great need for God's people in Jerusalem, they're very, very poor, and uh, will you help, as we gather offerings, would you help those that are in Jerusalem? They said, we sure will, boy, we're going to get behind this cause 100%, and they did nothing. So he went north from Achaia to Macedonia, that region, and there were some great churches up there, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, the Philippians, those churches were up in Macedonia. And he begins verse 1 of this chapter by saying, we do, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, those to the north of you. Notice, God has bestowed His grace upon those churches. They have something your churches don't have. The grace of God. And then it goes on, and and Paul says basically, and I'm, I'm, I'm really condensing a long story that's found in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and Philippians chapter 4. Study it out. And so he says to them, he says, Look, God has bestowed His grace because I went up there after you promised to give And I said, hey, the churches down south in Achaia are going to give. How about you? And they said, yeah, we'll get in on it too. And they did. And as a result, and you can read about the Philippians and their model of giving in Philippians chapter 4, how they sent once and again under the necessity of the apostle Paul, the missionary, and helped the poor. And uh, so now Paul's writing to the Corinthians saying, hey, you said you were going to give, you didn't. I told them you were going to give, they said we're going to, and they did. And as a result, those churches have the grace of God bestowed upon them, yours don't. And he brings up Christ as the ultimate example of giving here in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and that's unfathomable how, how rich Christ was in heaven. You, you and I can't fathom how much he set aside to come and be crucified. As we will remember here in a little bit, he He gave it all up. Why? For you, for me. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. He came through Bethlehem, and and you know the story, and Nazareth, and Capernaum, and then finally down to Jerusalem and where he ministered. And why did Jesus become poor that ye through his poverty might be rich? Well, if you're saved tonight, you're rich. I was talking to Pastor Alquist yesterday on the phone, and we were reminiscing. He started the same time I did. And, and he said, can you, can you just imagine God reached down into a, 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 a pile of dirt one day and picked me out of it. And what he has done for me and with me all these years and I said yeah it's wonderful and he said you know something if all Jesus ever did was gave me eternal salvation I would feel like the richest man on earth and that's all I ever got out of this but then to think that he cleaned me up and 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 set my feet upon a solid rock and established my goings and used me these 40 years and and I was, I was just amening him, brother. I said, you're right on. It is amazing how rich we have become spiritually through knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he became poor so we could become uh, rich spiritually. And now he says, follow the example of Christ. He became poor for your sakes. Now, let's us become poor or give so others can be made rich and here and i give my advice for this is expedient for you who have begun before you you, you said a year ago you were going to do it not only to do but also to be forward a year ago so he said you know you should not only be at the beginning point of your giving but a year later you should be forward that and this has been the phenomenon that we have seen in this church and so many other thousands and thousands of other churches have seen who practice faith, promise, missions, giving, that so often those who begin will be forward a year later. They will say, you know, I think I'm going to give more. And I think I'm going to give more. And I think I'm going to give more. And and they, they never find themselves capable of outgiving the Lord. The Lord gives and gives and gives and gives and gives, and it ends up becoming uh, hilarious. In the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Now this is missions giving, giving to the poor, which is almost the same thing uh, to us Americans at least. When we give to missions, you're pretty much given to the poor uh, around here. Every man according as he purposes in the heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You ought to do a study sometimes on things that God loves. Just get your concordance out and find out specific things God loves. There's only a few mentioned in the Bible, of course the world, every single person on earth. But one of the things God loves is a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful here is the Greek word "hilarus," from which we get the English word hilarious. It's the only time it's ever used in the Bible. God loveth a hilarious giver. And uh, some of you know what that means. Um, Some of you, it's just absolutely funny. Uh, The kind of little contest God has with us, almost in fun, to see who can outgive who. And they begin to give, and by the end of the year, they have more than they've ever had, and then they give more, and then by the end of that year, they have more than they've ever had, and then they give more, and then by the end of that year, they have more than they ever had, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, pastors, we, our church is 40 years old, and we implemented Faith Promise Missions Giving 30 years ago. The first 10 years, our missions giving was paltry. Almost pathetic we started immediately by supporting four missionaries as soon as we started the church I said we're going we're going to support missionaries but we didn't have a plan in place to get everybody who wanted to be involved in it and uh, so it was it was small it was sad four and then maybe by ten years eight or ten or twelve or something but it was it was just it was just whoever gave whenever they felt like giving, uh, there was no organization or order to it, and uh, then we had a man come in named Bob Halsey. Uh, Bob Halsey's with the Lord. He was with BIMI, and uh, a great mission board in, in our country. And he came in and and I said, "Would you uh, teach us about missions giving and about faith promise missions giving?" He knew what that was. I didn't. He said, "Sure, I'll come in," and and he did a wonderful job. What a wonderful, gentle, gracious. Man of God he was. I don't know if any of you even remember him. Uh, but he taught on faith-promised missions, and we, at the end of that time, had our first collection of cards, and I think we had committed like twenty or $25,000 to missions, and I was so thrilled. I, I didn't know what to do. I said, wow, we're going to give $20,000 this year, $25,000 to missions. This is amazing. Praise the Lord. That's so much more than what we gave, and immediately we were able to take on more missionaries and I said, man, we got to keep this thing going. So year after year after year, for over 30 years now, we've had Faith Promise Missions Giving Stewardship Month in October. Many of you are involved in it. And to make a long story short, our Faith Promise last October was $346,000 for this year. Uh, our, our, our greatest commitment ever. And uh, we're not a large church, we're a country church, but we've given over $4 million since that time uh, to missions. And now instead of supporting four or eight missionaries or 10 or 12, we support 158 missionaries in every time zone around the world. And uh, we look forward to taking on more and uh, not just missionaries, but mission endeavors and mission trips and We've helped plant churches, we've helped nationals, and besides those that we regularly support, and uh, it, it has just kept increasing uh, year after year after year that it's, it's almost funny. It, it's almost funny. And the people who have testimonies who, who started out maybe giving $5 a, month, or a week, $5, and if I told you the amounts they give now, because their faith has increased, uh, it would blow your minds. Many people in the church just, just it, it have increased and increased and increased, and in what they give on a weekly basis now to missions would just absolutely blow your mind. Um, because it has been a tool, now listen, pastors listen, it has been a tool that has increased the faith of individuals. In fact, it's it's one thing that you can get involved with with God, and in, in fact, he he says in Malachi, it's the only time he ever says this. He says, uh, "Prove me uh, tithes and offerings." He said, "Prove me herewith, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing." I'm not saying there's not going to be hard times in your individual life and financial uh, life, or even in the church. Uh, but let me just say this for the behalf of any pastors who might ever watch this, and any, any dear people that are watching this, if you could encourage your pastor maybe to give it a listen. Uh, and and just, just from one person's experience, by faith, I took God by faith and said, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Listen carefully. This has not hurt our general offering. This has not hurt our general offering. That's the biggest obstacle many pastors have about getting involved in faith promise missions giving. Is they're afraid it's going to hurt the general fund that people are going to take from the general fund and give to missions, and the church is not uh, going to be able to go on? Um, If I could assuage your fears tonight, uh, as I, I leave as the lead pastor here three weeks from today, and I'll still be in the church as pastor emeritus and pastor at large. we got those definitions in your bulletin today. And and I I won't have authority anymore. I'll have influence, and I'll give advice, but not authority. Um, And I'm ready for that. But as I leave, one of the things that blesses my heart is that the financial picture of this church is the best that it has ever been in its history. That means the general fund, the missions fund, and it's because we, and I've never done anything by myself, we have encouraged people to be involved in faith promise missions giving, to give to the Lord their tithes every week to the general offering, and then to, by faith, commit for a year to give towards missions a certain amount some start with a dollar or two or five or ten or whatever some can do more than that and year after year after year goes by in so many of these people's lives and they see the blessing of god on that and the church does too and for any pastors that are watching since we started this we have purchased seven different properties for cash, paid them off in cash. We've never borrowed a cent from any kind of a lending institution in the history of our church. We've bought those seven properties, four churches, two houses, one recreational field. We've renovated them for cash. We've started congregations, and God has given us pastors And besides all that, we have about five people on our staff here that we pay uh, full-time, who don't have to be bivocational, all out of the general ministry. Now, I I don't know what you think, but in this day and age, that's what I call a modern-day miracle, to have a testimony like that. And I know a lot of it goes back to you and me praying and fasting like I mentioned in the first message. I have prayed and fasted. I have not begged for money from this pulpit, but I've taken it to God on my knees and tried to carry that burden on my knees before God. He's a great God. And God has blessed our church. And helped us to start other churches and help missionaries all around the world and renovate properties, buy buildings, pay salaries, pay all of our bills on time, every time, and still have more in the general and more in the missions account than we've ever had before because faith, promise, missions, giving works. And somebody had told me when we got started, and I don't know who it was, but I quote him all the time, When you get interested in what God is interested in, God will get interested in you. And that's why there are churches like the churches of Achaia today that can never make ends meet, because they're not giving. And there's other churches like the churches of Macedonia, that Paul said, you and Achaia, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And he talked about how in their poverty they began to give and God blessed them. And so pastors, by faith, I want to encourage you to start faith promise missions giving in your church and see what God will do. And I believe year after year after year, if you'll pray and fast and have a good missions conference and a stewardship month and and collect commitments and encourage people to trust God by faith, that that will increase and increase and increase and increase. And it's at least one thing, all of us, feel good about our church. It worked. We're talking about things that worked. Now, number five and six tonight I'll put together, and that's preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching works. A lot of churches are changing these days. Um, there, there's, there's no more preaching, there's no more teaching, there's little devotionals, uh, little self-help lectures, um, that the, the, the vast majority of the public uh, meetings are spent uh, singing, and music, and more music, and more music, and more music, and then when that's over with, some more music, and then a little bit of a devotional. And uh, I remember also somebody one time said that sermonettes make Christianettes. And uh, that is true. We need preaching and we need teaching. Those are biblical practices that have been set before us by the Lord Jesus Christ as an uh, example. And he has taught us that, uh, that we are to follow that pattern. Uh, Jesus, um, in, uh, let me go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, I think, I think this is the verse I want. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Notice that word compassion. Because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, And he began to teach them many things. Pastor, the ultimate pastor, Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, out of the compassion of his heart, saw people as sheep without a shepherd, and his compassion prompted him to do something here in Mark 6 and verse 34, and that was what? Teach them many things. Things, teach them many things. We need to have preaching and we need to have teaching in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And preaching and teaching still works today. And after 40 years, we can say it works. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 7. 1 Timothy 2, and so we need preachers and teachers in the church. 1 Timothy 2, 7, where unto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, that's a missionary, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity or truth. Notice three things Paul said. He said, I am ordained a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. A preacher, apostle, a missionary, and a teacher. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. A couple pages away. First, 2 Timothy 1, verse 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So the one he says, I'm ordained. The one he says, I'm appointed to do three things. I need to be a preacher. I need to be an apostle. That's one who goes out and reaches them. And I need to be a teacher, a teacher. Now, we have to be careful as fundamental Baptists. And some of you don't know what I'm going to say right now, but some of you do. There was a time when some of the greatest fundamental pastors that I've ever known used to laugh and demean teaching. And if you don't know what I mean, I'm glad. But I grew up in those days where some of the greatest fundamental preachers that I ever knew used to demean teaching and used to even mock it. I remember one guy that said, when I get good and backslidden, I become a great teacher. I believe he spoke on the behalf of Satan when he said that. And uh, uh, they would say, we need preaching, we need preaching, we need preaching. And they would even mock out the deeper things of God. They'd laugh at that. Churches looking into the deeper things of God. But when you mock out teaching or demean teaching, or diminished teaching, you are diminishing the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, not these great fundamental preachers from the past. And I believe the shallowness of our churches back then is why our movement fell apart. Because all people heard was preaching, 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 and no teaching. Now, Jesus, because of his compassion, saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And it says he taught them many things. When you demean teaching, when you tear down teaching, you tear down the example of Jesus Christ and the true definition of compassion. One of the most compassionate things a pastor can do is teach his congregation many things. Many things. Teach. Do you know what the Great Commission is? Let me, let me read it to you. Um, right out of Matthew, chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's the great commission. Teach all nations. Now, we know in Mark's count, it it uses the word, preach the gospel. Teach all nations, then baptize them, then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Anything Jesus has commanded through his own words and red letters, or he continued his commands through his apostles and their writings, we are to take all those things and teach the body of Christ how to observe them. And as a result, we have a lot of preaching, even to this day, a lot of preaching, which is is, is, is scriptural but it can be very shallow without teaching boy back in the days of the great awakening in America they would have revival meetings followed and sometimes the revival meetings would go two or three weeks followed by two week bible conferences where teachers would come in to the new converts and teach them in bible conference now we don't have either we don't have either and Jesus the, the, the great if we if you if we're not teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you then we're not following the great commission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the head of the church the head of the church so we need preaching and we need teaching and we should not laugh at the deeper things of God i'm glad the holy spirit gave me enough sense when I started to glean from these great preachers all the good things they were teaching me, but to reject and to spit out the bad things they were saying. And I became a teacher of the Bible from day one in this church, as well as a preacher of the Word of God. And I have tried to dwell on some of the deeper things. Why? In 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says this, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. To mock the deep things of God is to mock the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. And so as much as I love those preachers, And I have gleaned and kept the good things they taught me. I believe they did horrific harm to the body of Christ when they diminished the ministry of teaching. And we need to have preaching and teaching, and that works. That works. I've always said if I had a restaurant, I'd do two things. I'd have a nice atmosphere Number one. Number two, I'd serve good food. There's a place called Aunt Millie's. I don't know how many of you know that, but every time you go by there, the place is just packed to the gills with old people. Now, you find a restaurant that's packed to the gills with old people, you'll find good food. Those old people are not going to McDonald's across the street or Burger King uh, or Tim Hortons or anything. They're going to Aunt Millie's because old people know how to eat. By that time, in that stage in life, they know the difference between good food and junk food. And Aunt Millie's is full every time you drive by it. Every time you drive, why they serve good food, serve, and people keep going. People keep going. I believe the same is true in our churches. I think that if we can serve good food preaching and teaching and try to include in every message some milk of the word of God for the babes in Christ and some meat of the word of God for those who are have been in Christ a long time I believe those people will keep going to that church to get their souls fed I I believe some of them will drive a long ways to get to that church if they get food for their soul but can you imagine? go into a restaurant, go into Aunt Millie's, and they bring out a glass of milk for you. And then you say, can I see a menu? And they say, no, this is all we serve. Glasses of milk. It's all we serve here. Well, they go out of business pretty soon, and that's why a lot of churches close. All they serve is a glass of milk. Every time people go. They just get a glass of milk. And they finally say, man, I'm not, I'm not getting fed there. And sometimes they're, they're dead, dead right. They're dead serious. They're honest. They're, they're right. They're true. They're not getting fed there. We need to feed. Those of you that are preachers, those of you that are teachers, Sunday school teachers, kids' teachers, feed them. Put a lot into your messages. Put a lot into your studies. Uh, if you're going to teach next Sunday a bunch of little boys or girls, start now start now so you almost have that thing memorized pray all week and 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 just think you know some of them are church kids and and they're growing up in christian homes christian schools or whatever homeschools. some of them are bus kids and they they might need more of the milk and these kids might need more of the meat and how can i use different uh teaching tools not just the lecture method but how can i use different teaching tools to, and, and if you keep feeding them they'll keep coming back They'll keep coming back. What's the difference? Preaching is proclaiming the truth. I'm almost done. Preaching is proclaiming the truth. We've got to do that. We've got to proclaim the truth. Teaching is explaining the truth. We've got to do that. People got to know, otherwise, they become what I call frustrated. Frustrated spiritually. You can say, um, You need to be a good husband. That's good preaching. That's good preaching. But if that's all they get, they'll just walk out frustrated and say, I need to be a good husband. What does that mean? What does that mean? But teaching explains it. As I mentioned, I don't have time tonight, but as I mentioned, I I studied it out myself one time, and I I found 12 different requirements of a husband towards his wife. And, And as you go through those 12, and here's how you do that. Or your wife is a, uh, she lives in the, uh, she has a body, she lives in the physical realm, she has a, a spirit, she lives in the emotional realm, she has a a soul, she lives in the uh, spiritual realm. So she's in the physical realm and, and, and in the emotional realm and the, the uh, spiritual realm. And, and here's how you can minister to her in the, the physical realm. And here's how you can minister to her emotionally in, in, in the, the, the realm of the, the human spirit. Here's how you can minister to her spiritually and you teach what you preached, you need to be a good husband, and then you say, now here's how to do it. You need to pray. That's good preaching. Okay, now here's how to pray. You need to not use vain repetitions. I mean, if you just say, somebody's doing new in the church, says, you need to pray. They might go home and get their rosary beads out again. They might. They might say, the pastor said, I need to pray, so... That's all they know, get their rosary beads out. But then you say, now Jesus taught us not to use vain repetitions. And Jesus taught us to go into a closet, which means find a private place and get down on your knees or prostrate yourself or walk around with your hand, whatever whatever posture you're comfortable with, and pray to your God in secret. And and here's how to pray. And then he gives us an outline, worship our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy. Worship God for a while, and then Pray about his kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the, the church, that's the ministry, that's saving the lost. And then go on to your own needs and pray for your own needs and your daily bread. And then pray for forgiveness and then give God the praise. And, and you get specific. This is how you pray. That's teaching. That's teaching. We need both. We need both. We need, we need to say, say to the lost, you must be born again, but you can't leave them hanging. They say, here's what it means to be born again. We're all sinners and we're lost. We're separated from God. We're we're, we're we're dead. We're in our trespasses and sins. We're condemned already. But we can be made alive in Christ through a new birth. And you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him as your Savior. Believe what? Believe that Christ died for your sins on the cross. And He was buried and rose again. You can't trust in your... And you go on and on and you explain. We've got to have... Preaching and teaching, the, the first time the word pastor is ever used in a positive way is Jeremiah 3.15, one of my life's verses. And I will give you pastors according to my heart, mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's the duty of pastors Assistant pastors, associate pastors, feed people with knowledge. That's the facts. Understanding how to use the facts in your particular life. And there's so many other subjects that I could illustrate. Stewardship. I just mentioned about faith promise and and tithes and offerings and what that means. And we have all these these promises. In uh, 1 Peter 4.11... I think this is my last verse. Of course the Bible says to Timothy preach the word, be instant in season out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy 4:2. Yes, we need to preach the word. But if we're not teaching, if we're not telling men how to be a husband, how to be a good wife, how to raise your children, How to handle your finances. And pastors, if you don't know those things, you can bring people in who know those things. And uh, why do we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God and have somebody come in and teach on it? Uh, You need to be a soul winner. That's good preaching. But then you need to have some teaching on that. Okay, here's how you would go about and do that. And and I don't have time to illustrate, but in 1 Peter 4, uh, this is another verse that, that profoundly affected me. And I'll close with this. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Wow. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. I obviously didn't have the ability some other men have had. But I tried to minister in the ability I had. That's all God's expecting of me. That's all God's expecting of you. But it says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And it's not talking to pastors there, it's talking to all of us, but still. You know what an oracle is? This blew my mind. I wish I'd have known this 40 years ago. An oracle is a brief utterance, oracles were generally brief. But it's literally where you're speaking on the behalf of God. And if I made one mistake, and I made a lot, like I said, I used to preach way too long when I was first starting. If I was starting all over again, I would preach short short sermons. I would. Uh, Too many people over the years, honestly, too many people left the church and said, that guy's too long-winded, never came back again. Whereas if I have kept a message down to 25 minutes like A.V. Henderson did, Lee Roberson, and the next thing you know, there's 10,000 people coming to hear Lee Roberson on a Sunday. He preached 22-minute sermons. I've heard A.V. Henderson. I, I, I've, I've, I, when they were, I heard them both when they were live. Man, they would hit the pulpit preaching. No nonsense. They would take off on a very short runway, and they'd be into it. And and man, they would say more in twenty-two minutes, twenty-five minutes, and some of these loud mouths would go on for an hour and a half. And uh, you were fed well. You were fed well. If I could start over, I would. I would. I would do that. I would recommend that to young pastors not to preach too long, but to still preach in the in a demonstration of the spirit of God and of power. So much more on preaching and teaching, but. That has worked. That has worked. Preaching and teaching. You don't have to get rid of that. There's still tools that are in the New Testament that are scriptural that God will use in this day and age. The foolishness of preaching. We saw that yesterday morning at breakfast. Guys just preaching as loud as can be. He had one one volume loud (laughs) from the start to the end. He had one volume loud. And it was good, though. He had good points, and that was a blessing. And by the time he got done preaching, there were some people there who were ready to get saved. And they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. God still uses preaching, but I think we need more teaching, and you don't have to feel guilty about that. All right, let's bow for prayer as we receive the Lord's Supper. Our Father, we thank you for things that have worked, Thank you for faith, promise, missions, giving. Lord, I believe that's something every one of us in this church feels good about. Just what you have done has amazed us. And people who give much, people who give little, people who are just starting their adventure of faith and giving. And and that's been a tool, Lord, that you have used to increase the faith of so many. Preaching works, teaching works. Proclaiming the truth and explaining the truth. God help pastors to spend a lot of time on their sermons and not feel guilty about it. And try to deliver a quality message, a quality Sunday school lesson. Men, women, quality children's church. May they put it all, put everything into it, because there's not a thing a person on earth can do more important than communicating divine truth to another human being. There is no greater task given to us. Lord, help us, even if we're soul winners, to do our best.